Well, good morning, Community of Grace. Great to see you all. Hi. Morning to all of you online. I can see you waving too. And to those of you in the fellowship hall, it's good to be gathered together uh, weekly to uh, have our hearts formed, not just our minds, but our hearts formed and our, our souls transformed by what Christ is doing in us through his word. And as we are coming to the conclusion today of the Game of Life series, I hope that uh, we've all seen that life is just better when we're all playing by the same rules and when these rules that God has given us are for the benefit of, of all of us. Uh, they don't favor one or the other, but that we are all playing by the same rules and we all get that. Um, today we'll be covering the last two commandments that we haven't covered yet, which is coveting. And at the end, I'm going to tell you how to win at the game of life. Oh, I've got a hint. It involves cheating. I'm kidding. It doesn't. <laughs> so coveting. It's, it's the 10th commandment. It's, did you know there are two different numbering systems for the commandments? If you've been a little confused, uh, it's true. There's two different numbering systems. So some the last commandment, some uh, have it as the last two. But regardless, coveting, it sounds so boring, and it's probably the least understood commandment. But as I've been looking, uh, just researching and studying on this, it seems to be at the root of every heart issue. And it may possibly the commandments, because coveting leads to the rest. As author and theologian John C. Maxwell says, if this last commandment were kept, the first nine would never be broken. An outward sin with an inward thought. The book of James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire? But you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And so coveting, it's like, okay, this might be a pretty important thing that we should know about, especially if we've never... So what is coveting? Coveting is yearning to possess or have something in a way that causes a break in one of the previous commandments. That's not a bad thing. Even Paul tells us, desire the greatest gift. So there is this good kind of desire. We can desire God. We can desire the well-being of our neighbors. But when our desire is such that it sets our eyes and our hearts on something or maybe causes us to break one of these other commandments, then that would be considered coveting. Great story to illustrate the difference between coveting and stealing. So Johnny and Susie went to school, and Susie had brought an apple. Well, Johnny saw that apple, and he wanted it, so he took it. He stole it right from her. And, of course, Susie went and told the teacher. And the teacher went up to Johnny and said, Johnny, why did you steal that apple? And he said, well, if I had only coveted it, I wouldn't have the apple. <laughs> it's getting there. Slow roll. <laughs> Trust me, it's <laughs> so with coveting, you know, as much as giving generously is God's story throughout Scripture, He gives His people so much. Coveting is the human story throughout Scripture. Right at the beginning, Adam and Eve, 
had everything, wanted the one fruit they didn't have. Uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob uh, had plenty, but he coveted what wasn't his, his brother's birthright. And so he sinned, coveted honey. Israel coveted having a king like the other nations. David coveted Bathsheba, somebody else's wife. Judas coveted silver and ended up betraying Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter already theirs, but they 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 coveted having that and and they lied about it. So this isn't an isolated incident that coveting only certain places. I think this happens to everyone, and I bet it's in your story too somewhere, as it is in mine. Children are masterful coveters. As you saw in the video, as soon as another child goes to get it, I was playing with that. Well, coveting as we grow up, you'd think like we'd grow out of that, but it doesn't stop. It just matures. We call it different things. We call it ambition or seizing opportunity or seizing financial security. And unfortunately, coveting is kind of the American dream. It's life, liberty, the pursuit of houses. It's buying things to keep the economy strong. It's built into our system that this is something we should do. We just desire more than what we have. Now, again, I have to, like, pull back a little bit because these things aren't necessarily bad in themselves. Wanting financial security isn't bad. Uh, wanting to have nice things isn't bad. And we'll, as we get further and look at stealing, we'll see that there is a place for that. Um, but these things might be bad for you, depending on what God's doing in your life and heart at this time. So let's look at a specific word in Scripture uh, for a specific situation. And uh, starting at verse 17, the story of the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and asked him as he fell on his knees before him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Don't give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him lovingly. And he said, one thing you lack. thing you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. At this, the man's face bad because he had great wealth. The disciples were amazed, excuse me, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. With God, all things 
So what we see in this story is a very specific word for a specific situation. Because some people will like to take that story and say, well, Jesus says sell everything and so that means having things is bad. But we also see Jesus going into the houses of plenty of other rich people, chaos, a tax collector, uh, and more. And he was supported by people of means. And he doesn't tell all of them to go and sell everything. So it just seems like Jesus knows uh, the heart of the person that he wants to move in. So I'd say before you sell all you have, seek God's heart. By the same right, before you don't Sell everything you have. Because he may want to speak to you in that. Let's move from coveting to something we're a little more familiar with, stealing. It seems a little clearer. Don't take things that aren't yours, right? Uh, I like how the, the original translation seems to be a little clearer. We've got handed down the thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder. And in the, uh, in the text, it's a little more like no three. <laughs> Just don't do it. Uh, but in this law of stealing, there's a few assumptions. And one is what we mentioned earlier. People can have private property. If, if God's saying don't steal, that means people have a right to own things. Bad thing. Owning things that are your own isn't bad. Um, and we can see that because there's apparently a moral conflict when somebody tries to take a thing that isn't theirs. I like what theologian Maxie Dunham says. He says, stealing is a sin against God because it betrays our trust in him. It's a sin against humankind because it denies There is a flip side of the stealing commandment, too. Uh, Martin Luther, in the small catechism on the commandment of stealing, he said, So that we do not take our neighbor's money or goods, nor get their goods uh, in any dishonest way, but rather help him to improve and protect his goods and means of making take things from people, but make sure that people have an opportunity to gain for themselves and even cheer them on in that. So the second half of, of Luther's explanation kind of complicates the stealing commandment a little bit, uh, because if our systems that we're in aren't helping our neighbor improve and protect his goods or her goods and make a living as well, then we're guilty of breaking the commandment, even if we haven't physically stolen anything. Uh, and that means if we perpetuate a system that takes, we are guilty. And it's like, have we done that? I, I don't know, but I bet if we were to look at the, where our clothing were made or how the cup of questions. So chances are we're guilty of breaking the law even if we don't realize it. Uh, the laws that God literally wrote in for us to follow... Uh, we've gone, as, I think as we've gone through the series, I think most of us in some way have been guilty of breaking uh, all of them because Jesus sets the bar so high. So it's kind of like, okay, well, we're Jesus. The law? Sure, we can try. And that's not bad. David uh, in Psalm 119 
Starting at verse 30, it's a whole, Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm, and it's all about God's word, and David is just in it. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I might keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path. My heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may. For your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. It's good. It's law. Will it help you, and, and will you be able to fulfill the law perfectly? No! You just won't. The harder you work at it, the further you will get, because we'll end up like the Pharisees, who in trying to discern every that just kept adding more rules and more boxes to check, the more things to list out. And then it drives us to ask, like the disciples, then who can be saved? How am I supposed to do this? God, I can't do this. And Jesus responds to you and to me right at that moment. With people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God is making the way of salvation. And this is the good news. The law is not the good news. The law is there to show us that we can never be perfect. We can never attain the holiness of God. And Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet Jeremiah uh, foretells what is going to happen and what God is going to do. The, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new law with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness and their sins no more. So Jeremiah is looking forward and God is speaking of what he's going to do and God in that is making a way stone, but written on our hearts. Which is probably for the best since we have a tendency to make the law such a behavior thing. It's a behavior thing, right? It's do the right thing. It's always been a heart thing. It's always been a hard thing. Like Pastor Angie was saying last week from the scriptures, that anything that we do, good or bad, it's an outflowing from our heart, what God has So then, of course, we could just ask this, can our hearts be good? Because if everything good flows out of our hearts, can we make our hearts good? And this is a controversial claim of Christianity. You cannot make your heart the kind of good that God requires. This is one of those things that separates Christianity from other religions, that the only way of salvation is through the way that God makes. Because we've each and all broken 
God's law, separating ourselves from his holiness. And it's not the size of the sin that matters. The size of the sin really is irrelevant because we're not measuring ourselves with the size of our sin, but with the holiness of God. And when you have a blemish against perfect holiness, there's a separation there. So it doesn't matter if you're the worst of sinners or the best of sinners. God shows us that without any shadow of a doubt because even on our best days, we can't fulfill it completely. And ironically, that's the point. To drive us into the dirt so hard that we can Lord, save me because I can't save myself. And it's right at that moment where Jesus does just that. When you believe that God has made child to him and you receive and respond to his invitation into that restoration, at that moment, you're being saved. He is saving you before cleaning up, before behavior modification. Before getting up on a Sunday morning, before knowing the Bible stories, while you are still dead in your sin, not able to do anything for yourself, Jesus raises you. Jesus does. Romans 8, the, the whole book of Romans kind of sets us up, up to this point for this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending flesh to be a sin offering. And so, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who didn't live according That even at that moment where we couldn't keep the law, Christ did what we couldn't do and did it on our behalf. And that right there is the good news. So when we encounter and respond to Jesus with a yes, we can begin living not by the flesh, uh, but by the spirit with that new covenant written on our hearts. I think of, I'm just going <laughs> to stop looking at that for a minute. Uh, I think of so many people I've met in life who they may or may not have a religious formation. But in, in the United States, most people have some sort of religious awareness. And uh, often when I'm meeting people out wherever I am, if it's at a music store, if it's at the coffee shop, and I tell them I work in a church, I can't even count the amount of times I hear people say, like, oh, you know, I'll be like, hey, you should, yeah, come, come, come visit sometime. They say, oh, if I stepped inside your church, uh, I would be struck by lightning. The building would fall down. I just, I'm starting to tell those people, you're not that bad. Your sin is, is nothing compared to God's grace and love for you. Compared to what he wants. God just, like, yeah, they are bad, but they're not that bad to separate you from the love of Christ. And I think 
the challenge that we have at is to show people that. Because what people have seen is what they've seen on the news and what they've experienced in their lives, which is people not living that out. They say, clean up. They say, come to church first. They say, get it right first. And then maybe you can have Jesus. But Jesus does not act that way. And he doesn't call us in that way. Uh, and, and there's so much tension involved in this. Because, yeah, Jesus says, the, like, sell this and then follow. For you <laughs> because Jesus doesn't really clean it up for us, but what he does clean is our sin. He, he wipes it away. I know that for sure. And I pray that as we become, as we encounter our family members who have walked away from the faith, as we encounter people who are on the streets, that we lead with love and not with judgment. That we lead with that kind of love that brings us uh, to a place of being able to, because, because we're in a trusting, loving place, to be able to say, God's love for you is great. And they'll be able to say to us, you know what, I might be able to believe you because your love for me is great. If, if, if God loves me the way that you're loving me, I think I can follow that God. So, the game of life, uh, I tell you that, and it's, uh, it's easy. The way you win the game of life, as opposed to the board game of life, is you lose everything. You lose everything. You lose every ounce of belief that you can be good enough, churchy enough, holy enough, uh, every bit of belief that you can do it yourself because you're not and you can't, and, and that's good news. He does that. That's exactly what he does. And even on your worst days, he is for you. Your heart state toward God is nowhere near as important for you. And his heart is for you. Let's pray. Our God, you are good. You are holy, and that is obvious and evident. And you've set it up. Uh, you've set up the world in laws. And you knew beyond a shadow of doubt that we had no choice. We had no chance. <laughs> we, 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 you had a rescue plan in motion from the beginning because of your great love for us. So God, in this complicated uh, but loving uh, can be easy. And God, I pray that you will make us those who love well. I pray that you will help us to lead in love. I pray that any person in here who's had a bad experience or online or in the fellowship Paul, who have had a bad experience with religion or religious people would come to see you for who you are. God, forgive us for where we failed. Help us to overcome as best we can uh, the failures of ourselves, our church, the church. Help us to lead in love.
respond to your invitation with a solid yes as you continue to love us. Lead us on in your Holy Spirit. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.